informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you had a good weekend. Lots to talk about as we kick off this new week. We'll talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, see what kind of uh, forecast we have for this week ahead and throughout the month of August. We're going to talk about the pork industry, where we're at with packing plants, where we are with markets. We'll talk with economists with Kearns and Associates, Steve Meyer. And we're going to get a report from the Sturgis Bike Rally. Robert White with Renewable Fuels Association is there to promote ethanol. And we'll get a report from the rally coming up on today's program. Also, we are very happy to announce and welcome listeners to KOEL 950 AM Olwine, Iowa. They're joining us today here on Adams on Agriculture. Great to have you with us. And we look forward to talking with folks in Northeast Iowa listening on KOEL Olwine, Iowa. Welcome to AOA. And welcome to Sarah Wyan, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you again. How are you? Oh, good morning, Mike, and congratulations to you on your continued expansion. That's terrific to hear. Thank you very much. We thought we, we'd hoped we would be talking today about uh, the new coronavirus assistance package and what's in it for agriculture, but obviously not. That's still at a stalemate. Now, the president's taking some action on his own, but uh, we're still waiting to see if they can get anything worked out in Congress. Well, we certainly are, and it looks like it's going to be at least another few days and maybe even longer than that. Uh, This hot August summer is going to have to heat up a lot more before these lawmakers and negotiators from the White House can reach a deal, Mike. You know, it was sad to see that the talks broke down, but it really wasn't unexpected. Uh, They were... Uh, and on the Senate side at one trillion, and on the House side at three trillion, there were some discussions to come to a compromise at two trillion. But some of that was just a timing change. It really wasn't a change in what the demands were. So the president stepped in and he said, "Well, if we're not going to be able to reach a deal, then he issued these four executive orders, including a deferral of the payroll tax, uh, continued ban on, at least a temporary ban on evictions." Uh, and also those who are repaying student loans. He wanted to continue the federal unemployment bonus that had been at 600 a week at 300 from the federal government, an additional 100, so 400 a week uh, for those who are still unemployed. And, um, you know, he just got a lot of uh, press over the weekend, some who said it was a brilliant negotiating strategy, some who complained that executive orders even though President Obama had done some of these things, is not the right way to go. Uh, You had both Republicans and Democrats condemning him for taking steps that they cried as unconstitutional. Uh, So all we know right now is that there's just this back and forth going on and that, um, you know, it's going to, like I said, have to heat up before things are going to actually move again on the negotiations. Well, if nothing else, perhaps the action the president has taken on his own will get Congress moving and get something done. That seems to be the negotiating strategy that the White House has taken. Um, there was some conversation, for example, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said Sunday on some of the talk shows that on the food provisions, they did have a deal. 
but his explanation was that there were some tentative deals on provisions, but then uh, people would ask for more. And, you know, these things are always difficult to do when you're negotiating in front of the press. Uh, they need to lock themselves into a room and, and actually decide that they're going to finish this. And until that happens, I don't think you can expect much. Well, let's look at funds that are approved. That's the CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Each week, for the last several weeks, I've had Richard Fordyce, uh, the FSA administrator, on, and each week I ask him, why are the uh, numbers so slow? Why aren't you getting more payments out? And there are a number of reasons he cites and and, um, says, you know, there are a number of things going on and uh, farmers are busy with other things, takes a while to work through all this. Uh, And we've heard some farm groups say they think there's cumbersome paperwork here and that's slowing things down. But what we are hearing, more and more people are starting to question the slow pace of these payments and wanting some uh, changes made. Absolutely. There was a letter that was sent in Friday to USDA from groups like American Farm Bureau, Ag Retailers, Association of Equipment Manufacturers, a lot of commodity groups saying, hey, we need more time and we need more outreach. Uh, you may have seen that we had Congressman Glenn Thompson on our Washington Week in Review video last week, and he said he was running into producers in his district in Pennsylvania who didn't even know about the program. And then you look at the numbers, as you mentioned, so far USDA has paid out only $6.8 billion of the $16 billion that's budgeted, and that's just so far. Um, you know, people are saying that we're going to need a lot more, but there are so many different producers who have applied who haven't gotten very much and a lot of others who haven't seen any payments. So they are behind. I think it's great that you're talking to Richard. I know that his heart is in the right places. He's a Missouri farmer himself uh, trying to get these dollars out the door. But um, if they're not even telling people that it's available on a regular basis, you're not going to get producers to sign up. I thought that money would go very quickly, like the PPP money. Uh, I've been just shocked that it's gone out so slowly. Well, me too. I mean, normally those things are, and and so many producers who have already been in the program uh, can get electronic payments deposited into their account. But keep in mind that this program is reaching out to some commodities and to some specialty crops that have not been traditional recipients of farm program payments. So I'm sure that type of paperwork is slowing things down. And you've also seen even on PPP, there's still money left. And that's why you've got a lot of people saying we've got to get more money out the door, but it would be great if we could spend the money that is already budgeted and approved by Congress to help producers during this difficult time. Real quick, Sarah, back on the package they're working on in Congress or have been trying to work on, uh, the SNAP benefits have been a big part of these negotiations and the holdup, kind of like what we saw back during the Farm Bill debate. Has there been any uh, breakthrough, any movement on that? Well, as I said, um, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin did say that there was a uh, provision that um, uh, probably a set of provisions on food stamps and on benefits that uh, was approved during some of the earlier Mm -hmm. negotiations. We don't know all the details on that, but I think that both Republicans and Democrats, especially Senator Debbie Stabenow, who's been uh, really making a big push for enhanced food stamp benefits, uh, they all want to make sure that people, especially children, as we're looking at going back to school, aren't going back to school hungry. 
So um, finding a way to perhaps step up during this difficult time is something that they could agree on from both political parties. But I don't know exactly what that number is yet. Although we have heard from some Republicans saying they, too, were willing to move on that as well. So, yeah, maybe they can find that common ground there. But so many other issues that have to still be addressed. All right, Sarah, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Have a good Take day. care. You too. Sarah Wyan, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And Bryce, is it just where I'm at or is it more widespread that the August just seems cooler this year than what we usually expect for this month? We've had, yeah, we've had a, uh, a real widespread uh, round of below normal temperatures over the past week, Mike. And it's been a real timely uh, change in that temperature pattern because just ahead of the first part of August, uh, there was some pretty notable heat that developed, and it was uh, obviously stressing uh, areas of the Midwest where conditions have been dry. There's no doubt about that. But there was also just a little bit of a hint that some late-season crop stress could form, even in areas that have had uh, better rains over the last several weeks. And then uh, the cool-down came in and stayed for several days to where uh, the the conditions uh, improved notably. And all of a sudden now, uh, we're back uh, to thinking that crop yields could be very large for this year, possibly reaching new records. And the... um, the dry area uh, stress has uh, seemed to kind of get whittled away. I'm not, I don't really want to say shrink, but there has been some, uh, like I say, just some shaving back of areas where uh, the conditions have been real stressful. And we started to see a lot of uh, images of, uh, you know, corn ears that are filled out very close to the tip soybean pods that are uh, wide, uh, that are pretty heavy and uh, have, a, have uh, at least three beans in the pod and all of that. So uh, the fortunes uh, certainly changed over the last 10 days on the temperature side. What about this week ahead? Well, it's going to be a week that uh, brings still uh, pretty seasonal temperatures to quite a few areas. Um, we're not going to have uh, just a completely... A uh, mild week, there is some heat stress potential in parts of the Mississippi Valley and the lower Ohio Valley today, along with the northern delta. But um, later on this week, uh, there's going to be uh, rainfall over quite a bit of the central part of the country, except for the immediate Great Lakes, anywhere from uh, a half to one and a half inches of rain, locally heavier. Uh, There's going to be some rain in the drier areas of the western uh, part of the Corn Belt, uh, specifically in Iowa, uh, that uh, the rainfall could actually total an inch, which is not a drought uh, buster by any means, but it does offer, you know, at least some short-term benefit, I think probably more likely for soybeans. And again, uh, the temperature 
ranges this week are going to be mainly in the low to mid-80s for daytime highs. And uh, the overnight lows are going to be pretty much in that uh, mid-60s to maybe around 70 degrees. Maybe a little bit warm, but um, but not just a, a real stressful nighttime temperature pattern either. And so uh, this is, uh, I think, pretty decent for the middle part of August as we think about uh, the uh, soybean uh, pods filling and uh, the corn kernels uh, starting to uh, put more of a fill in their stage as well. Is the big heat behind us now? You know, I think it is. Uh, now, next week is going to be a little bit hotter uh, over the western uh, part of the uh, Midwest and then through the northern and central plains uh, because we're going to have more uh, ridging in the atmosphere form out of Texas and then expand a little bit farther north and east. But, uh, you know, you get into mid-August, and if the heat has not really set in, it's hard for it to, uh, to get going. Uh, we start to get a little bit more of a hint of the season change. Uh, the end of the summer shows up. Uh, we start to kind of back away on the daylight length, and it's just flat hard to bring in a lot of real hot conditions. And one thing that we have uh, not seen a great deal of this year is the uh, development of uh, a real uh, strong area of high pressure out of the southeastern U.S., the Bermuda High. That, uh, that really has not been a real big feature for this year. And with that, without that, as uh, an atmospheric influence, it's, it's very difficult to just, you know, kind of build that heat all the way into the Midwest. And so we're just not seeing that. Yeah, it's, it's had a fall feel early on this year. Yeah, it really has. And uh, today we've got a strong trough out of the uh, north that is, uh, you know, leading to some pretty strong thunderstorms here in parts of the western and the northern Corn Belt. Uh, we saw some of that activity during the past weekend in uh, Minnesota, the Canadian prairies, uh, Wisconsin. Uh, some uh, spectacular uh, convective-type activity developed. And um, that trough is trying to sag a little bit farther south. And this week, the trough is going to lie across the southern part of the Midwest. And I think the, uh, the Interstate uh, 70 boundary is going to be a pretty solid one as far as defining where the uh, heavier rainfall develops. Uh, we've seen that, uh, you know, that is a pretty big feature over the last several weeks. And uh, with that, you get, you know, like I say, these more seasonal temps that, uh, that form and, and uh, just keep uh, a lot of stress pretty much uh, as a, a real backseat item uh, when you think about crop conditions. With all the talk about good conditions and big crops, that area that really stands out, though, has been and continues to be western and west-central Iowa. That that area has struggled this year. Yeah, they have. Um, producers have. There's no doubt about it. I I don't know uh, how the you know how the yield prospects are going to be reflected, and and that's going to be a real interesting detail in terms of uh, what that part of the country comes in like uh, when we come uh, to uh, yield projections. Uh, you know, those uh, yield projections are are starting to show up. We've seen uh, different, um, you know, different brokerage houses uh, come up with uh, yield estimates. I haven't seen anything specific uh, for that particular state, uh, 
Uh, we've got our own digital yield project that we're putting stories out about starting today, uh, covering this week, and we're going to talk about Iowa on Wednesday. But it is going to be a an interesting point to see, first of all, how uh, this uh, dryness affects the yield potential in that part of the state of Iowa. Basically, the western half of the state is now uh, certainly on the very dry side, and we've got extreme drought, I believe, affecting uh, all or parts of 11 counties, if I remember my counting from last week correctly. All or parts of 11 counties in uh, drought level 3 extreme drought on the drought monitor. Uh, but it's going to be, uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at what happens with the yields in uh, that particular area of the Midwest. But then, what happens with yield projections in some of these other areas that have had uh, more frequent rains and milder temperatures? You know, is all of that going to be enough to kind of counterbalance uh, the likelihood that uh, some yields in this uh, real high production area of the Western Corn Belt are going to be maybe a little bit below, certainly below expectations, but also maybe just a little bit below what trend line would be. So that's all going to be a, a real interesting storyline to play out in terms of the total uh, crop projection for this year. Yeah, the guessing game is underway and all the projections starting to come out. Uh, what about a, a long-range forecast into the fall? What, do you, what are the models showing? Yeah, Mike, the, uh, the pattern is still looking pretty favorable. Uh, the the uh, thought has uh, been for quite a while now that uh, the rest of August is going to be, you know, kind of on a seasonal to maybe above normal track on temperatures and precipitation, uh, not, not really uh, suddenly shutting down, but also not being real heavy either. And as we go into September and uh, toward the fall season, the uh, scenario is still looking quite favorable for crop dry down and then for the start of harvest with a lot of uh, temperature uh, ranges in that near to above normal category over the Midwest and then generally above normal in the plains and the uh, rainfall or precipitation during the fall season on a below normal track. And this is uh, obviously a lot different than what a lot of producers had to put up with in the last couple of years. And I think that uh, harvest is looking, first of all, a lot better in terms of progress, but I think a lot better in terms of crop quality, too. I think we're going to have better dry-down conditions than we've had in uh, quite a few areas of uh, crop country over the last couple of years. All right, let's hope so. Bryce, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Take, you bet. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we'll take a look at hog markets and also what's going on with pork packing plants. Steve Meyer, Kearns and Associates economist, joins us next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams and welcome back we'll be talking uh, in a bit with robert white with the renewable fuels association as he is in uh, sturgis for the big bike rally of course a lot more 
national attention on that rally this year because of coronavirus. It always gets a lot of attention, but it'll get even more this year because of that. And uh, we'll be talking with Robert there about efforts to, uh, once again this year, promote ethanol. They've been very successful with those efforts over the last several years there at uh, the rally. And want to check in with Robert about uh, how things are going from a uh, uh, perspective of safety and uh, how much he's hearing and seeing when it comes to coronavirus uh, protection efforts and things like that. So we'll be checking in with Robert White in a bit on that. Also, keeping an eye, we hope to talk this week again with uh, FSA Administrator Richard Fordyce. Uh, This is this question about CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program that uh, I've been bringing up week after week with uh, with Richard. Why is the pace of payments been so slow on, on CFAP? And he has pointed to Busy schedules by producers. Uh, some farm groups have pointed to cumbersome uh, rules and paperwork. And, of course, as we heard from Sarah Wyant earlier, some are saying, some producers are saying they've just not even heard about the program or don't have details on it. So it uh, seems like a lot of different factors here. But several farm groups are appealing to USDA to get them to relax the payment rules and extend the sign-up deadline for the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and they cite that slow pace of payments going out to farmers. A letter was sent to Ag Secretary Purdue late last week, the American Farm Bureau, Ag Retailers, Association of Equipment Manufacturers, among those calling for some changes by USDA and the need to increase outreach to growers. We'll see what the numbers are when they come out uh, probably today. But last week, last Monday, they paid out $6.8 billion out of the $16 billion that is budgeted for CFAP. So um, more commodities have been brought in, but the, the payment pace has been slow. When you look back over the last several weeks, it was $6.2 billion, then to $6.5, then to $6.8. And again, we'll see what this uh, week's numbers show. But uh, that pace has not picked up. And um, there's also been the fact that they're paying out 80% of what is um, is uh, scheduled to go out to those producers. And some are saying, what about the other 20%? So there are a lot of questions around CFAT, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, even though the focus is on getting new assistance in a coronavirus assistance package through Congress, which, of course, is stalemated right now. So that's been the uh, the interesting optic here. Uh, while trying to get more assistance, what is approved already has not gone out very quickly. So we'll continue to focus on that. We continue to focus, too, on what's going on in the uh, pork industry with the hog markets, with the pork packing plants. Joining us now is Steve Meyer, Kearns and Associates economist. Steve, good to talk with you again. We haven't talked in a while. What's the latest? What are, what are the numbers you have for us? Well, uh, Mike, on the packing capacity, we're consistently running at about 95%. Are you still there, Steve? We've lost you, I think. Steve, I can hear you in the background, but I can't. You're not coming through very clearly. I, can you? It's kind of panning out to be the looks like the ceiling here. We have one plant, the Tar Heel plant, in North Carolina, that's had lots of trouble. They have 
Okay, we're having trouble with Steve, so we're going to try to reconnect with him and go over those numbers again. The cell phone connection, not always the best there, and something we've been uh, dealing with quite a bit, seems like. It's, you know, everyone is trying to do things remotely, and it's been a little bit challenged, but uh, we'll, we'll try to reconnect with Steve and get a better line there as he'll give us the latest numbers as far as pork packing plants. You heard him say back running about 95% now, but there are still some challenges there with different plants and, uh, of course, uh, some challenging times facing the pork industry as they're seeking assistance uh, from the government as well, uh, dealing with a real financial burden with the number of hogs that are backed up and the number of animals that have had to be euthanized and just uh, some, the expense then of, uh, of handling that. So there's a lot facing the pork industry right now. So we're going to try it again. Steve Meyer, uh, let's see if we got a little better connection now. Could you give go over those numbers for us once again? Okay, maybe we don't have him. We thought we had him back, but uh, evidently that connection is not going to work. So we're going to keep trying. Steve, can you hear me now? Yep, evidently not. So, all right, we will uh, continue to try and uh, work through our technical challenges as, as best we can. But we know it has. It's been a while since we talked to Steve and uh, wanted to get an update on how we're doing with the packing plant capacity uh, with uh, the workers and uh, are any more plants having to, to shut down or slow down and how that's backing up hogs and how producers are dealing with that, trying to uh, do the best they can as they have for some time now as far as backing uh, things up. Let's try one more time. Steve Meyer, are you there? I'm here, Mike. I hope for uh, we don't get cut off again. hope you can hear me. I can. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, if you would, go over those numbers again for us. Where are we? Well, we've been operating at about 95%, and we thought that was as good as we were going to get. We'll have a few days that we might get under that or over that on operating uh, capacity. Uh, but, um, you know, we've had a few days when we were down to 93% too, and I think we're going to have some of those. Um, we got one plant in North Carolina, the Tar Heel plant, that hasn't been able to recover very well. Um, that's the biggest plant in the world, and They've been consistently running 10,000 head a day or so short of their capacity. So, and, and that would be short of how many hogs were available in that part of the world. And so um, that's a major factor in the 5% uh, reduction. Um, I think we're going to bump around this 95% rate for the rest of the year. And uh, that means that we've got more pigs out there than what, uh, what we have the place to slaughter them. We, we could slaughter 2.621 million on a 5.4 workday week. Um, we hadn't been quite there, but we've been in the high two fives. Uh, we could uh, push a Saturday, a big Saturday, and kill you know 2.7, uh, just a little over maybe, but you're not going to do that very often. And so as we look at the June 1 hog inventory that USDA gave us in the weight categories there, had all of those pigs been growing normally and we'd been slaughtering them when they reached the proper market weight, uh, we would have slaughtered about 1.2 million more hogs since June 1 than we have. Um, we know that pigs have been on control diets for some time. Uh, there are some producers are taking them off of those control diets now. Uh, they, get, they feel like they've caught up. And there are some producers that are current, but we know of some large systems that are still several thousand head behind on their marketings. And if you add those up, it doesn't take a lot of them to get to a million. And, um, and the, my big concern is that the pig numbers are going to grow from here 
as we go into the fall, and we're going to actually back up more during the fourth quarter than where we stand now. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. As you look ahead, it could get worse rather than better. Well, I think it certainly could. As a matter of fact, uh, my numbers using USDA's weight inventories and normal growth curves would say that we could be to 2.9 million by December, by the end of December of hogs that should have been slaughtered that have not been slaughtered. Now, we're going to get another read on that come September 23rd or 4th when the September uh, hog pigeon report comes out. So, um, you know, we're sure hoping that USDA is doing a – that producers are responding to the USDA survey and that USDA is doing a good job of using that data to estimate the total inventories out there. That's I'm kind of hanging my hat on the June 1st inventory. It might or might not be accurate, but I don't think it's off by as many as, as that 1.2 million that we've counted so far. What are we seeing with demand and, and, and keeping the supply chain open and moving, getting product out there? Well, I think we're, we're pretty good on that. I mean, uh, you know, the, the problem on the demand side remains the food service sector, and that's probably taken steps backwards in the last several weeks in some key states. Uh, you know, California, Texas, Florida, some of them are having a lot of trouble with coronavirus, and so they've kind of backed off of some of the recovery and reopening. And so the food service sector is still quite slow. Now, our packers have adapted to that to some degree. They don't, you know, they've figured out how to get retail product out of food service lines and packaging different and labeling different. And so we have more product that's aimed at the at the retail side. And every indication there is that pork is moving very well. Uh, prices have been strong. They've actually gone up a little bit at the retail level because there for a while we didn't have enough product there. I think we've got plenty of product there now. And the wholesale value, they had a great week last week. It was up about 5 bucks on the cutout value. Hams recovered. Um, you know, hams have been on this wild roller coaster for the last uh, three months. And I think it's really a matter of, uh, you know, we export probably half the hams in the United States to Mexico. And the Mexican buyers kind of sit back until the price gets low. And then they come back in and buy, and they drive the price back up. And then they jump back out and... I think it's just an in-out thing on on trade with Mexico on those hands. But, and the export market has been good. Now, shipments to China have, have softened. Uh, they were only 10,000 metric tons, a little over last week. They were up in the 18,000, 20,000, uh, you know, several weeks ago. Uh, Chinese domestic prices, though, have increased in the last uh, three weeks back up to near record levels. So I think the interest will be heavy from China. I don't know if the politics are going to let that uh, flow very well, but uh, so, you know, I think the demand side is okay, except for food service, and that's still a problem. All right. Well, Steve, glad we got the phone line uh, straightened out. Good to talk with you. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mike. Thank you for being patient. Appreciate it. Kearns and Associates uh, economist Steve Meyer. Up next, a report from Sturgis and the Bike Rally next on AOA. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams so the big bike rally is underway in sturgis controversial with some who didn't think it should happen with the coronavirus others saying that uh, no they wanted it to happen and it is and uh, a lot of uh, folks are there and the renewable fuels association is there as well as they have been for the past several years uh, 
giving out some free ethanol, some E10 to bikers, and also uh, getting some information out about uh, ethanol. So it's been a very popular uh, and a very effective promotion for the ethanol industry for the last several years. Robert White uh, is has been out there and for several years now and is out there again we're having trouble getting through to robert this happens sometimes when you get that many people in one area with the cell phone signals uh, jamming up so uh, we'll keep trying if we don't get him today we'll get him before the week is out uh, because always interesting to get his perspective on on people he's talking to uh, at the rally talking about ethanol and of course this year there's just so much uh, scrutiny on the event because of the uh, pandemic so we'll be talking about that as well so we'll keep trying for Robert, if not today, we'll get him before the week is out. Well, we do have with us old Rusty Halverson, who is a farm director at the American Ag Network and based in Fargo, North Dakota. Rusty, uh, uh, I know that you have short summers in North Dakota, but uh, this one seems like it's really been a short one for you in that in that part of the country. You know what? With COVID-19, Mike, it seems shorter than ever. And I'm sure you can speak from that perspective, too. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is what it is, I guess. You've had, you had challenges in the spring getting the crop in, and, and now uh, it seems like uh, you haven't had a lot of uh, uh, heat. Uh, how do the crops look around the state? Well, you know, it's it's hit and miss. Um, there are haves and there are have-nots. Um, there have been reports in western parts of North Dakota where drought has been affecting uh, forage, for example, which could be anywhere from 30 to 60 percent uh, lower than a year ago for forage output, according to extension officials. And then you've got a, a, a dichotomy where you've got prevent plant acres in eastern North Dakota, southeastern North Dakota, some fields won't be planted. Some fields, uh, maybe in north-central North Dakota, have wheat still standing from last year that will have to burn off, and those acres will not be planted. And then you've got northeastern North Dakota and northwestern Minnesota. We saw torrential rain earlier, uh, just a few weeks ago, where wheat acres, planted acres, were just wiped out. I mean, we're talking standing fields along the Red River Valley where uh, growers have had to talk to their uh, crop insurance agents and, and just have to zero out everything that they tried to get planted. It's been, uh, you know, Mike, uh, it's not just localized to this area. Um, there have been so many areas of the Corn Belt and the Midwest and Eastern South Dakota, so many areas that have seen challenging conditions this past year, whereas other folks in some areas have some good crops perhaps coming this year. It's it's just been, uh, to put it in just a phrase, it's been a roller coaster. It's It's been nuts. All the reports about uh, a big crop, uh, big corn crop, and probably a big soybean crop around the country. Uh, do North Dakota farmers share in that optimism? What crops you have planted, do they look good? Well, um, again, uh, it's it's really a case of the have and has, have nots because uh, you can go from county to county, field to field, 
and it it's just so variable mike it's it's uh it's something we've become used to over the past couple of years but so frustrating because uh with our commodity prices the way they are with uh policy and trade and all the frustrations that come along with it um it has really been a challenge as i'm sure it has it has been for a lot of your growers in in illinois as well yeah yeah we've well we've been fortunate we've had some very good conditions here for the most part uh, in it's certainly in west central illinois and um prospects are looking pretty good all right so uh, what's uh, your forecast i know you've been really cool is that do you are you staying that way for a while now well, it's it's going to be a little muggy, a little stormy, okay. but uh, it sounds like uh, we do have your guest. I think Kirsten has your guest uh, ready now. If if you're ready for your guest, yeah. Okay. Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Rusty. Rusty Halverson with the American Ag Network. We have finally found Robert White in Sturgis. Robert, how's it going? I'm doing good, Mike. Sorry for for that. We're we're uh, here on the ground in Sturgis, uh, the 80th anniversary. So much attention on, on the coronavirus, uh, concerns about that many people in an area. Ha, are, what are you feeling? What are you seeing? Uh, what are people talking about when it comes to the virus? Well, the virus is uh, definitely a, a second thought. Uh, there's no doubt about that out here. Uh, I think what the national press is definitely failing to realize is, you know, there, this is a town of roughly six or 7,000. But the people that attend the Sturgis rally, it's over three weeks. They're, you know, spread 600 square miles probably. Um, so, I mean, there there is all the opportunity in the world to social distance. Uh, that's nothing better than getting out in the open air on a motorcycle and yep. seeing the sights of the Black Hills. Is the crowd size about the same as usual, or is it down any? Uh, not here at the Buffalo Chip anyway. It's, it's, it's uh, pretty pretty close to normal. I think what's really going, I mean, part of what's going on, it was the 80th anniversary, the fives and the zeros are always big, and a lot of people have reservations, and, you know, it's just lots of money. If you don't come, and if you're comfortable with what's going on in the world, then they're here. And, uh, you know, as far as the RFA is concerned, we're still doing promotions, but we've changed everything. I went down to the skeleton crew, and we're going to promote the seminal. All right. Hey, can you join us again tomorrow? We'll talk about uh, some of those things you're doing to promote ethanol. I'd love to, Mike. Okay. We'll, we'll check back in with you again tomorrow, get another report from Sturgis. Thank you, Robert. Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. He's in Sturgis promoting ethanol at the bike rally. We'll talk with him again tomorrow. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.